0: is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 3 through 20. Um, So if you want to follow along, either in the Pew Bible or on the screen, Maddie's got you covered. Thanks, Maddie. Um, So here we go. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, world's w- what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So now we're going to have a time of testimonies. Both Maddie and Betty are going to come up and give, yep, okay, that's going to happen. That's what's in my notes, but who knows? You never know, it's an adventure here. So they're going to just come up and share a little bit about why they're getting baptized.
1: The uh, agenda is a little awkward today, because everything's out of whack, so I'm like, oh, I'm up next. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. Um, how many of you have carved your pumpkins for tomorrow? A few? Okay. Well, I, I want to talk about carving pumpkins today. Um, I, I heard on the radio, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Most Christians kind of have a negative thought about Halloween, how it's the devil's holiday and all that stuff. But someone made a really interesting point that I thought, wow. I wish I could remember who it was that said it. Um, She said, it's the one night of the year that we're neighborly. We open our doors. We greet each other. We give each other things. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I thought it was kind of a cool thought. Anyway, for what it's worth, carving pumpkins. Um, what is the first thing you do when you carve a pumpkin? Hmm? Stab it. Oops. Hmm. You buy it first. Yep, you have to buy it first. But you have to take the top out, right? You have to cut and take the top off. And when I cut the top off of my pumpkin, I like to think about how God opens my mind so he can fill it with good stuff. So, when you open your pumpkin, pray that God will open your mind so that you can learn. The next part is the part that I hate the most. Literally, and otherwise. It's when you have to clean out all the the goop that's inside. I don't like doing it with my hand. Hmm? Yeah. So you got to get the seeds and the all that yuck that's in there. you got to get it all out because it's not good to leave it in there. Um, and that reminds me of all of the sin that's in my life. All those seeds of evil thoughts. All those strings that lies and deceit and just evilness that gets strung up inside there. So you've got to get all of that out. All right. Now, most of that's out. I think it's good enough. Close enough anyway. So then you have to cut some more. Right? So do you put eyes in your pumpkins? Most people do, right? So when I put eyes in, whoop, that came out really fast. There we go. Hey, I couldn't do that again. The eyes that I put on my pumpkin are shaped like hearts so that I can see how much God loves me. And I can see with the love of God how much he loves everybody else. So I cut the eyes like that. Now, do you put a nose in yours? Some people do, some people don't. I happen to put one in this one. And it's shaped like a cross. And that reminds me about all the times that I turn my nose up at the things that God has done for me. He's given me so many blessings throughout my life. And half the time I say, oh, it was just good luck, or oh, wow, I must be really good that I did that. But it's all because of Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. So cutting the nose like a cross reminds me to remember how blessed I am because of what Jesus did. Now, I don't know, ears are kind of weird, and a lot of people don't put ears on their pumpkin, but I happen to today. Um, my ears are kind of, sort of, supposed to be shaped like a book, the um, the Bible. And that's so that we can hear the Word of God. Whether we read it or we speak it or we hear it someone spoken to us, we need to be filled with that Word of God because that's what's going to help us see through the eyes of love and be thankful for the things we have. Now, one more important part of our pumpkin that we have to do? The mouth. And the mouth... This one is a fish. And the fish is so that it reminds me to tell the good news. We have such good news because Jesus came and he gave us so many blessings and he did so much for us. And he loves us so much. So we need to tell others. Now, there's something else that we usually do with our pumpkins. I don't know about you, but I usually do. And I think it's still in my basket here. What else do you usually do to your pumpkin? Put a light in it. So I have a candle here, and we light a candle we light candles every Sunday in church to remind us of the Holy Spirit. And the candles remind us that we have the light of God inside of us. Please don't go out. Please. they lit. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Let's try again. That's what always happens when I use a new candle. I should use a old one. Well, third time's a charm, right? Sometimes it takes God a little bit to get that light into us. Come on. Come on, this little light of mine, you can shine) <laughs> Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Gotta work. Come on, God. Help work with me here. I'm trying to give your message. Hmm. Well. Ah, thank you. Yes, it does. Thank you. Good thing I brought a whole box. <laughs> anyway, I think we're about to get there now because it looks like there's enough melted around it. Stick a match in it. I was actually thinking about that. You were reading my mind. You know, they always tell you to burn the wick a little bit before you start so that it will light. So I did that last night. Now it won't light. <clears throat> I'm going to try David's idea. See if I can stick on. There we go. There we go. There we go. So we put the light in. And we don't burn ourselves with it. And the light of Jesus shines through us. We can see through the eyes of love. We can remember to be grateful for all that he's done. We can speak the good news, and we can hear his word. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you love us, that you have created us to be like you. You've given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mouth to speak. Help us not to turn our noses up against you. And thank you for putting your light inside of us so that we can be a light to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Let's pray some more. (laughs) Lord, uh, you know I had a really hard time writing this sermon this week. Um, I pray that the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So when I was in middle school, I think, around then, um, PG-13 was added as a rating for movies. And I remember this because I remember there seemed to be this giant debate over whether Goonies the movie Goonies would be rated PG or PG-13. And I had to look it up because I thought that it ended up getting the PG-13 rating, but it did not. It is PG. By the way, I did not see that movie until my husband introduced it to me in like 2015 or something. So, but not because of the rating. IMDB suggests that, you, that probably if that film were released today, um, it would have gotten a PG-13 rating. It, was, it didn't because it was such a new rating, um, but they, say, they describe it as having pretty strong language for a PG film. And I remember that that was what the big deal was. So let's talk about this. What kind of content leads to more mature ratings in our entertainment? be honest. Saltier, okay, that's a good euphemism. Yep, sex. Violence. Violence. Language. There's one more. Well, nudity. Drugs. Yes, right. So you mean this stuff. But among you, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then later, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Um, so it's a little ironic that entertainment is full of all of those things, and the entertainment that is full of all of those things requires mature audiences. But we've been talking for a couple of weeks now about maturity in the family of God, And maturity in the family of God, apparently, means we need to offload all these things so that we can become, as the end of our passage today says, children of light. Which is weird, because we're talking about maturity, but now we're talking about becoming children of light. There is a worldly maturity out there in our society, in any society, and every single one of us is influenced by that. Um, even those of us who, so I became a Christian when I was four. I was baptized when I was ten. I did not do a lot of bad things. Um, and for a really long time, I couldn't watch movies with these ratings. Like, I really couldn't, I couldn't tolerate them. And now I can tolerate them. I do tolerate them. Sometimes I reference them in my sermons, so you know that I watch them. Um, you might also have heard me swear once or twice. So that is the ways that worldly maturity kind of infiltrates us. By the way, because of all those things, that is one of the reasons why I had a really hard time writing this sermon, because I don't want to be a hypocrite standing up here telling you not to do stuff, that some of which I do. In some way, godly maturity is supposed to take us beyond the worldly maturity it might bring us through it. We might spend a season where we have to kind of go through that stuff, but the idea is for us to mature beyond it. So we're not completely innocent. It's not like we don't know what goes on in the world. We're, We're not just completely unaware, but we go through it and beyond it, and in a way, come back full circle to being children in purity. Wise, clear eyed, maybe experienced children that helps us see things for what they really are, that helps us see in the light. So, I gotta say, not only did I really have a hard time writing this sermon and really not wanna preach it because I didn't wanna be a hypocrite, but also it's baptism day and I knew there would be visitors. And I kind of feel like if you don't go to church often, this type of passage might be the sort of thing you would expect from church. And maybe even if you do go to church, you might expect that this is the kind of passage. And we almost never talk about this stuff here. And so I'm, I'm feeling kind of awkward about this. I just want to put that out there. And this, Ron Cherniski is the one time I have regretted sermon series. <laughs> Because if we were not in a sermon series right now, I would have picked some other passage to preach on today, but this is what we got. So I think there's probably a reason for it. The Holy Spirit is usually the one that I try to ask about the sermon series, and so we're just going to go with it. So maybe there is something that this passage has to do with baptism, though. Any ideas? Okay. That's one thing, getting rid of the old, taking on the new. Baptism is about joining the family of God. We've been talking about the family of God for a few weeks, maybe months now. And so really this is kind of relevant. In fact, in the Middle Ages, you would have gone through an entire year of sort of catechism, where you would talk about things like this, where you would be trained in things like this, mentored in things like this, before you could be baptized. And then you would be baptized on New Year's Day in the freezing cold outside in a lake. (laughs) It's not like that here. Um, But really, this passage and the one before it and the one next week are really all very practical ways of talking about, okay, you're part of a new family. What does this look like? So, what are the characteristics of God's family that we've talked about so far, or that we've seen so far in this series? Anyone remember? Grace. I like kindness. Yes. Okay. Also, there was that one Sunday where we talked about humility, patience, gentleness, peace, love. We've also been talking about unity. Last week we talked about truthfulness and self-control. All of these things that you've mentioned and that I just mentioned are attributes of God himself. This goes back to the idea we've been saying for weeks now that in God's family, we're supposed to take after our dad. This is a good dad that we have. Whatever our earthly fathers are, we have a good dad in god and we're supposed to take after him when we're part of his family in verses one and two of chapter five which we looked at last week paul the apostle paul said follow god's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us so the real overarching characteristics of god's family are to follow god's example of the way of love, walking in the way of love, and it's a self-sacrificing love. Christ gave himself up for us. Real love, as defined by God, who is love, is self-sacrificing by definition. If you want to see where it says that in the Bible, you can read 1 Corinthians 13, and you will recognize it, I bet. It's a very famous passage. So... How are immorality, impurity, greed, obscenities, dirty jokes, and substance abuse things that are incompatible with God's family? Right. They are not self-sacrificing. I mean, sometimes they can become that way. When they take over and we are addicted and we can't get out of it, we have sacrificed ourselves to something. But... They are, they always start out as something kind of self-indulgent, selfish. And they damage relationship, they damage unity. All of these things, ultimately, in the long run, will do that. There's another characteristic of God's family and of God himself that we've talked about or hinted at in this series, and that is that when we, as we grow into maturity by the power of the Holy Spirit, we also grow in authority over creation and over what we're calling the powers. Um, I feel like it's they're a little more complicated than demons, so I'm not, I'm not gonna use that term. We've talked about empire before in a previous series. It's the, the things, the powers that work in the universe that are opposed To human well-being and are opposed to God and they are especially opposed to humans and God being united. The whole purpose of our existence, the whole reason God created us, was for us to be united with him so that we could be him essentially in the world. (coughs) Oh man, I was hoping I was gonna get through this. (laughs) Excuse me. So, Immorality, impurity, greed, and even obscenity, dirty jokes, and drunkenness are qualities of the powers that we're supposed to be ruling over, but which in this broken world, until Jesus comes back, often rule over us. <coughs> in Ephesus, in the Diana-Artemis cult, which, we, which I mentioned maybe a couple weeks ago, this was really true. Diana, or Artemis, was this god of the Greeks and Romans, and she was a fertility goddess. And so their religious practices involved sex. They had orgies and all kinds of things, and a lot of religions have this. All of the sins that Paul calls out in this section are actually about an abuse of sex and of others through sex or through sexual references. This is awkward. I warned Maddie ahead of time this week. I was like, I'm sorry, on your baptism day. I've... I actually have a water, but if someone has a cough drop, I would love that. Mm. Thank you. Anyway, it is awkward to talk about this, but thank you. But it is important because the powers figured out at least as early as Genesis 6, that sex is a big deal. It is something that God gave humans. It is unique to humans. It is not something for the powers, I don't believe, although they have been able to access it and warp it. Um, And since Genesis 6, where (laughs) the Bible tells us in this really weird way that the sons of God took the daughters of men, the powers have been trying to manipulate sex in such a way to keep humans separate from each other and separate from God. A lot of times people will say, the church makes too big a deal about sex. And maybe that's true, but I think more often the church makes the wrong deal about sex. We don't understand it very well ourselves, and so... (laughs) we make it into more than it should be in some cases and less than it should be in other cases. And let's be honest, every religion out there, I don't care what it is, it is not just the church, every religion has beliefs about sex. And most religions, except for maybe the monotheistic ones, usually have beliefs about sex that are similar to the ones that the cult of Diana or Artemis had. And this, Paul is saying, is not the role of sex in the family of God. Sex and the one person you are having it with is more precious than that. It is not this free-for-all. It's also not utilitarian. It's not created just to be useful. People in the cult of Diana would have these crazy parties because they were trying to ask for fruitful harvest. Or money. That kind of objectifies everybody involved, and the act itself. And Paul is saying, in God's intention, this is way more important than that, and so is the person, the other person. You two, and there should just be two of you, are important, and it's not just something for everybody, mix and match. In verses 5 to 7, Paul writes, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. This sounds really extreme, and harsh, and kind of scary, and (coughs) I think Though, maybe the point of it is, because Paul likes to use really extreme language to kind of startle us. Jesus used to do this too. Um, This really matters. Don't just say, because you were someone from Ephesus and you used to be a believer in Artemis, and so you did all this stuff, and now you believe in Jesus, and you're part of God's family, but that was kind of fun, so maybe you can still go do that stuff. No. No. Paul is saying, this is not appropriate, this is idolatry. This is not what God's people are supposed to do. There are plenty of people, both outside the church, but also in the side of the church, who will try to conv- convince us that ungodly, I- idolatrous approaches to sex are the right way. And there are kind of two extremes. There's the Victorian approach, which says, all sex is sin. Everything, even if you're married... You should just feel bad about it. It's all bad. Um, Or there's the free love approach, which says love is love, but that, come on, let's be honest, really means lust is lust or sex is sex. Either way, sex is the focus, both in in the view that says it's all bad and the view that says have as much of it with whoever you want. Sex should not be the focus. And this is where sometimes it could be true to say the church thinks too much about sex. Fortunately, we don't talk about it that often here. Sorry, visitors. (laughs) This is sort of a one-off. It's not supposed to be the focus, but in God's family, it's a part of human life, and in God's family, there is a godly way to approach this part of our humanity just like there is every other part of our humanity. Unlike the Victorian idea where sex is bad, sex is a gift from God. The Bible is clear about that from the beginning to the end. But unlike the free love approach, sex is a precious gift from God that blends our physical, emotional, and spiritual natures with those same natures of another person. And so, it is only appropriate with one other person. It's like, so Paul and I like to have dinner sitting in front of the TV, and we usually just like throw whatever we made for dinner in a bowl, one big bowl, and we sit in our pajamas and watch TV and eat, and sometimes talk over the show or whatever, um, they're ceramic pasta bowls. There's nothing special about them. We also have two crystal bowls, which we almost never use, but they're special, and they're for serving one dish well-prepared for if we're having guests over, We want to have this special time. Those bowls would not be appropriate for us to throw our casserole in and sit on the couch in our pajamas and eat. That's kind of, and it's not a perfect analogy, but that's kind of the idea here. Sex is not bad. A crystal serving bowl is great, but you don't use it for all the things. Sex is more precious than just... To throw around, and so is the person you're having it with, so make sure it's the person you're covenanted to. Sex has implications for our spirits, and so any degradation of it in word or deed has a spiritual impact, and the reason why it's connected to our spirits is because God uses it as an analogy of the kind of relationship he wants with us. not physical, obviously, but that intense, in-depth devoted, committed, faithful, absolutely intimate relationship. That's what God wants with us. And he designed it to impact not just our bodies, but all of ourselves. And so when we use it all over the place, it, it damages it. The uh, commentator John Stott says, In this section of Ephesians, Paul turns from self-sacrifice to its very opposite, self-indulgence from genuine love to that perversion of it called lust. The Greek words for immorality and impurity together cover every kind of sexual sin. In other words, all sexual intercourse outside its God-ordained context of a loving marriage. To them, Paul adds covetousness or greed, surely because they are an especially degrading form of it, namely the coveting of somebody else's body for selfish gratification. Okay. We get the point. But what about obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking? This is where I maybe have a little bit more of a problem. There, you know, there are two kinds of what sometimes we call swearing. Um, there's profanity, which is disrespectful of God. That's when we use words that are God's name or related to God and just lightly and as like an expletive. Um, That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about obscenities, which are the other other words (laughs) that don't have to do with God. Um, Obscenities and dirty jokes is what Paul is talking about here. And I was thinking, because like I said, sometimes, I'll swear. And so I was like, okay, really though, I want to know why. The Bible, some people are fine if you say you shouldn't do something as a Christian, and they'll say why, and you say, well, because the Bible says it, and they're like, okay, I'm not anymore one of those people. I want to know why the Bible says it. So I looked into this, and I thought about it in connection to what we just talked about. And it dawned on me that obscenities and dirty jokes are disrespectful of sex, which we have now learned is holy and precious, of human bodies and of human beings, and very often, I would say proportionally more than these types of jokes or words are used against men, they are very often demeaning of women, or people of other cultures or races. (coughs) This is something to keep in mind, I'm not gonna unpack that a whole lot right now, but (coughs) keep it in mind for next week because I think it will help us understand next week's passage, which is about the husband as the head of the (laughs) wife. Come back next week for more awkward conversations. (laughs) Hopefully without this (coughs) cough. Anyway, they are disrespectful of human beings. I don't think, just as an aside, I don't think earthiness is the same thing. (coughs) There are things about, like this, about being an embodied human that are funny. There just are. There are things that are funny. And (coughs) I don't think it's wrong for us to laugh at those things. I don't think, I do think God has a sense of humor. Um, I think he probably knows that there are some things about these humans that he made that are funny. Maybe he made us that way on purpose, so he could get a chuckle every now and then. I, I really don't think that God is all that Doom and gloom, as we sometimes think. But I do think here, Paul is saying, don't disrespect God's gift of sex by having it in the wrong context, coveting it in the wrong context, or using words about it in the wrong context. It's all abusive. Obscenity, like sex outside of marriage, is self-indulgent and abusive. And if you think about it, what's another term for swearing or expletives? Cursing. Well, cussing, but that's what it means, though. (laughs) Yeah, cussing, which is cursing. And last week we talked about how words are powerful. Um, God is a God who spoke creation into existence. Jesus is called the Word of God. And words are powerful. So even if we're not intentionally cursing somebody, when we say those words, they are actually curses. Even if we're not directing those words at other people, they are addictive. Think about this. I, I can trace this in my own self, because I didn't use to swear at all, ever, not even a little, I didn't even like, make up swears, which we've been working on at home lately. Um, <laughs> and then I started saying one or two mild ones. And now I say those more often. And then I introduced a few other ones. And my speech is probably still pretty mild compared to some people's, but I don't know how to stop saying those words. One or two of you have caught me saying them. I, I'm pretty good at not saying I'm in church, but there have been a few of you that have been around me where, one, where I let one fly. <coughs> it's addictive. In verse 7, Paul says, therefore do not be partners with them, and them is those who are disobedient. Who is he talking about, other people or the powers? If the powers know that our words are powerful, how great would it be if they could trick us into not only having sex inappropriately but also talking about it inappropriately d- damaging others verbally with it in a- inappropriately In verses 8 and 10 we finally get some light Paul says for you were once in dark you were once darkness you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. When we are addicted, our addiction, which becomes an idol, even maybe a power, is in control. That's us when we're in darkness. But now we are light. We're in the family of God. We have another spirit living in us. In the passage last week... It said, don't grieve the Spirit. In this passage, Paul says, fill up with the Spirit. Just sweep those other ones out and let the Spirit have all the room. In verses 14 to 17, he says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the solution here? The solution is, take the reins back from the powers who you don't belong to anymore, and give them to the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us two ways in this passage. In verse 4, he says thanksgiving. He says, don't utter obscenities or foolish talker, course joking, but instead, thanksgiving. Don't curse, give thanks. In verses 18 to 20, he says, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a way of saying something bad happens and then you have to pretend that it didn't happen, or that nothing's wrong, or that everything's. Fine. We, we have talked about that. We will continue to talk about that here. That's not what God wants his people to do, but it is another way of saying we have new spiritual DNA now that we are in God's family, and so we can reset our starting point and we have a new perspective. And our default does not have to be a curse. It can actually be a blessing. And then maybe we can process how we're frustrated or how I stubbed my toe and that really hurt, but how great would it be if we could just, if our instant reaction to something was to praise God? There's somebody who was really good at this, who was part of this church, I think, in the next life, she's still part of this church, Kathleen Bond. When I went to see her when she was in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, before she went to be with Jesus in person, she was in agony. And she was still praying for people, and she was still praising God, and when the medication that helped her finally overcome the opium, opiate blockage finally worked, she ran into the bathroom singing a hymn. She was hilarious. She had a great sense of humor. She, to me, is the picture of someone who loved the Lord, who knew how to be earthy, who had lived not an easy life, was able to acknowledge her pain and her suffering and her grief and her frustrations, and still her default was praise. And humor. God's people are not boring, and they're not gloomy, and they're not lacking in sense of humor, we're supposed to be the opposite, and we can be that if we're not taking ourselves so seriously, but able to say, okay, that really hurt, and I'm going to praise God anyway, and then I'm going to go put some ice on that, or whatever. So, Earlier in this series, I had said there were a few habits that I wasn't er ready to hand over to the Holy Spirit, and swearing was one of them. But, and it might be one of yours, or you might struggle with something else on this list, that's no reason to not come here. But it is a reason to think and decide whether you're ready to turn it over to God. I am a child of God, I realized, as I worked on this sermon over over and over and over and over again this week. I'm a child of light. You are, too. I don't want Jesus' light to be dimmed in me, and I know that words are powerful, and I work in words. So I think I need to be ready to turn that habit over, and I think at this point I am ready. I'm turning that habit over. We have two sisters today who turned their whole lives over in baptism. So let's be children of light together. And let's pray, and then let's sing. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are our Father. You are a good Father. You love us. You are delighted in us. You don't want us to stop having fun. You want us to have more of it. And it's so easy, so much easier to have real, free, open-hearted fun when we're using the gifts you gave us the way that you designed them. Lord, we pray for your help. We need your Holy Spirit to change the way we think and to change the way we live. We ask that you will help us. Thank you for your patience with us. We receive you again. In the name of Jesus, amen.